Hi there, this is Anne McElhaney. And I'm Phil McAleer, and we're here in Manhattan on day six of the Harvey Weinstein trial on Filtered Podcast, where we bring you uh, actual verbatim transcripts reenacted by voice actors. It's, actually, this is a, this was a, a, an action-packed day. This is a very action-packed day. We're we're quite exhausted. We've had two two, two witnesses, vi- two, two victims, two, alleged victims of Harvey. Not, not criminal. No, you know they're yes. not part. Again, these are what they call Molino uh, witnesses. They're not part of the criminal um, charges, but they are. Um, uh, yes. So Harvey Weinstein is charged with two sexual assaults and rapes. Uh, he's actually charged with those. There are four other uh, alleged victims who he's not criminally charged with, but they're bringing them in under some under the Molyneux ruling, where you can bring in witnesses to show a prior bad act. Most of these uh, victims are excluded through uh, through statute of limitations. So these they're they're allowed to come in because he's also charged with predatory sexual assault. So they, these are brought in to bolster that case. Um, so we had two of those people today. Not, not they're not the criminal charges, but they're they're alleging criminal activity by Weinstein. So the first of those then was a, a woman called uh, Dawn Dunning, very yeah. beautiful uh, woman who came in tall, thin, long, long brown hair, um, and she described for the prosecution how she met Harvey Weinstein in a nightclub in two thousand and four, and she was a really big fan of his movies. L- let's hear about that encounter. Now. Yeah. Did there come a time that you met somebody named Harvey Weinstein? Yes. I was working, waitressing in a nightclub, and that is where I met him. Approximately when was that? I believe it was 2004. Did you know anything about him prior to meeting him? I was very familiar with his work, and I was a big fan of his films. So, yes, I was familiar with him. What was your job? I was a waitress. Can you describe for the jury the interaction you had with Harvey Weinstein while you were working at PM? Well, I actually really hated working there, so I would kind of hide in this back corner from my tables. And he happened to have his booth, was the back corner booth, and we started talking. I did not know what he was or who he was. I was familiar with Harvey Weinstein, but I didn't know what he looked like. And so we started talking, and then one of the owners came over and said, you know, that is Harvey Weinstein. Be nice to him, basically. Did you begin seeing the defendant more often after that first conversation? Yeah. I told him I was an actress, and he said he could help me, and I gave him my number. And I didn't expect to hear from him because he's Harvey Weinstein. And then I got a call from his assistant pretty shortly after that. What was the substance of that call? I believe the first time I met him, we had a lunch meeting. Can you describe what you remember about that lunch meeting? We met at, I forget the name, but Robert De Niro's restaurant in Tribeca that was close to his office. A lot of people were there. His assistant at the time was there. I remember him on the phone a lot yelling at people, and we talked about some project he was working on, and he said he had some project that would be great for me, and he would get me a screen test at Miramax. You said you met at a restaurant near his office. Whose office are you referring to? Harvey's office. Did he mention any specifics in that meeting about what he thought you would be good for? I remember one of the films he specifically talked about was called Derailed, and then he talked about the screen test quite a bit. 
Did you have additional meetings or interactions with the defendant after that luncheon? Yes, we had several meetings over the course of several months. And then I did also have an actual screen test at Miramax. Did Harvey Weinstein invite you to any premieres or social events? He did. He brought my fiancé at the time and I to Whoopi Goldberg's birthday party. He got us tickets to, it was a Broadway show he produced. It was the producers. He got us really nice seats for that. He brought us to a different movie premiere, but I do not remember which one it was. But there was, I believe, three times that my fiancé met with him as well. And during these initial meetings that you described, did the defendant act inappropriate towards you in any way? I mean, he would make comments about my looks or my body, but it was not anything, you know, it was not any worse than anything I dealt with working at nightclubs or anywhere else. I never felt it was unsafe for me. So it all appeared to be going very well for Don Dunning. Here she was, you know, a waitress. Um, you had an interest in being an actor, wasn't an actress or an actor. Um, and, you know, as she says, you know, she was, you know, whooping it up. She was going to these, you know, yep. fabulous parties and having, you know, having lunches at Robert De Niro's restaurant and stuff like that. And, and getting tickets for the hottest parties in town. And she actually, that's the way it was described in court. So... But that all but changed. All, yeah, and, you know, she says then that this all changed in the spring of 2004. Um, and then she went on to describe that. And here, here she is. Let's listen to her. Um, to Don Dunning. Again, these are all actors reenacting um, verbatim, these, testimony. verbatim testimony, you know, um, that, that happened that happened um, yesterday in the court. So you've got we're going to have Miss Hast speaking to, um, to Miss Hast. Uh, Hast is the assistant district attorney, uh, Megan Hast, asking the questions of Don Dunning, who is an alleged victim of Harvey Weinstein. Let's hear their exchange. Directing your attention to the early spring of 2004, did there come a time the defendant asked you to meet him at a set in Soho? Yes. He was working on a project that they were filming outside, and they had set up a room in a hotel as a production office, and he, you know, his assistant called me and invited me to come by and meet some people. Did you agree to come by and meet some people? Yes. Describe what happened when you arrived at the hotel. Um, it was... The hotel was set up like a suite. So one side of the room was an office, there were people there, and the other, there were doors, and there was a bedroom in the room as well. When you arrived at the hotel, describe where you went and how you got there. His assistant met me and led me to the room. I met some people that he was working with. If you can, describe when you first enter the room. Describe what you saw. What did it look like? There were people in there working. There were radios. I remember someone, you know, people on computers, like a laptop. It seemed very busy and, like, kind of chaotic. What about the room itself? What type of room was it that you first entered into? It was like a suite where one room was like a living area. The other room was a bedroom. Describe what happened when you got into that sweet area of the room. I was talking with Harvey, and he kind of led me into the other room, and I sat next to him on the bed. And I was wearing a skirt that day, and he put his hand up my skirt. Did the tone of the conversation change in any way from the conversation from what you were discussing out in the suite to when you got into the bedroom? No. There was no, like, red flags or alerts or anything that would make me expect this to happen. If you could, again, describe exactly what happened as you were sitting next to him on the bed. 
He put his hands up my skirt. Then what happened? I was, I mean, it was like a few seconds. But I just kind of froze for a minute and then stood up. He, you know, told me not to make a big deal about it. He apologized that it would not happen again. Then we walked back out into the other room. When his hand, when he put his hand up your skirt, what, if anything, did he do? His hand went under my underwear. He was trying to put it in. He was trying to put it in my... He was trying to put it in my vagina. Again, what did you do at that point? I stood up. I was like... I was, like, shocked. I just was not expecting that to happen. He just started talking really fast. He was like, it is not a big deal. Don't make a big deal about this. He said it would not happen again. Did his finger actually go into your vagina? It, like, slightly. Not all the way. Did you say anything when you jumped up? I don't remember saying anything specifically. Can you describe his demeanor at the point you jumped up? He was talking a lot, very fast, you know? I don't know if he did not expect what my reaction was going to be. He was just, like, continuously talking like it's not a big deal. Don't make a big deal about this. It's not going to happen again. You know, that kind of thing. Did he ask you to engage in anything sexual prior to him putting his hand up your skirt? No. Did you have any physical contact with the defendant prior to him putting his hand up your skirt? Maybe like a hug or, you know, like in a greeting type of way. Like nothing like that. Nothing sexual. What did you do after you jumped up and you had the conversation you described? What happened next? We went into the other room. I was just trying to, like, rationalize it in my head. You know, just, you know, kind of give him the benefit of the doubt that it wouldn't happen again. I I did not yell at him. I didn't scream or anything. I just went back into the other room. How long did you stay in that other room? Pretty. I left very shortly after that. Did you tell anyone what had happened? No. Why not? Um, I was embarrassed. I wanted to pretend like it didn't happen. I just, I didn't want to be a victim. And up until that point, how did you view your relationship with Harvey Weinstein? I was trying to get work from him. So it was like a work relationship. I mean, everyone I knew, you know, knew that I was going to meetings with him, that I had done the screen test. It was a really big deal for me. So then Don Donning describes um, another meeting with Harvey Weinstein um, where despite the previous assault, she went to meet him to discuss business. Um, But he had a rather unusual contract offer for her. And this is where Weinstein made some pretty outrageous claims about it. It's interesting in the court because once, you know, something gets said that's kind of newsworthy, you can actually hear this kind of quick, you know, a a, a a cacophony. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a cacophony of people. Suddenly everyone's hitting the keyboards and everyone's at the one time this noise. So basically... um, 
you're, we're going to hear those names. I'm not actually. Yes. Let's let's listen to this. But basically, he he puts this very odd contract, indecent ID, proposal, an indecent proposal, um, and and name drops. There was a name dropping situation, um, very high level name dropping situation. Let's have a listen to that. Um, and again, we're listening to actors reenacting the day's um, most uh, extraordinary testimony uh, that we heard. W- one thing we'd like to ask you, uh, you know, it's, this is very dramatic testimony. We've we've had enormous responses to it, and. Uh, if you like this podcast, please go on and rate it. Uh, we've had some trolls who uh, be dragging down our star rating. And please, it, we've had nothing but praise for this. So please go and rate it. But let's hear Harvey Weinstein make some outrageous claims about A-list actresses and make a pretty decent proposal to a budding actress. Did you see the defendant again? Yes. Approximately when in relation to when you saw him at that hotel? It may have been a few weeks or months. How did that meeting come about? His assistant said that he wanted to meet with me regarding these three, some films that we had been talking about, some contracts. And she said he was ready to sign them and that I could, she asked me to come to a hotel to meet him, the Intercontinental. It was because he was a big smoker at the time and they had a cigar bar there where you can smoke inside. She said he wanted to have the meeting there. Did you agree to meet the defendant at the hotel with the cigar bar? Yes. Do you recall what hotel that was or where it was located? It was the Intercontinental near Park Avenue, and it was a dinner meeting. Did you go to that hotel for the meeting? Yes. Describe what happened when you first arrived at the hotel. I got to the hotel, and his assistant was there waiting, and he was not down there. She was by herself. And she said he had gotten a suite upstairs because he had, I don't remember if it was a conference call or some business, that he had to attend to. So he took a room. And what happened once you got there? So she said, let's just go up to the room instead of waiting for him. Did you go up to the room alone or with anyone? She brought me up there. That was Bonnie? Yes. Yes. What happened when you got up to the room with Bonnie? He opened the door and he he was wearing an open white hotel bathrobe and it was when you walk in there was a coffee table and a couch, a couple of chairs, then on the other side was the bedroom. I'm going to stop you there. When you said he had an open robe, did you see what if anything was underneath the robe? I mean, I saw his stomach. What if anything did he say at that point? He opened the door, I walked in, and on the coffee table I noticed three sacks of paper, and for some reason the tone, I don't know, something just seemed, like, different from when I had spent time with him in the past. Like, he was more serious and not, I don't know, like, there was just a different tone. I was kind of casual, hey, how's it going? He was not really that talkative at first. What happens next? So he kind of just cut to the chase and said... Here's contracts for my next three films. I'll sign them today if you have a threesome with me and my assistant. What happened next? I mean, when he said that, I laughed. I thought he was kidding, and he had kind of a crass sense of humor. But when I started laughing, he got really angry and started screaming at me. He said, you'll never make it in this business. This is how this industry works. This is how. And he named three actresses got to where they are. 
Do you recall the actresses he named? It was Charlie's Throne, Selma Hayek, and I believe Uma Thurman. I remember the first two for sure. And at that point, I was scared, and I didn't know what he was going to do. So, like, I just, like, ran, turned and ran for the door and literally ran down the hall to the elevator. How close were you to him at the point that he started yelling? I mean, I was close enough that he could have, like, grabbed me, you know. He could have, like, lunged for me. I don't know. It was, like, maybe a few feet. How loud? Can you describe how loud he was at that point? He was screaming, and he was, like, a big guy. He was, like, towering over me, and I was, like, really scared. Did you take notice of what Bonnie was doing or how she reacted at that point? I just remember at one point I did look at her, and she was, like, blank. Like, just a blank expression. What is the next thing that happens? I ran out onto Park Avenue and, like, got in the first cab I saw and went home. Did the defendant follow you? No. So uh, then we got, uh, you know, the defense got their chance to question the witness, um, to question Don Dunning about this, you know, this two very um, dramatic stories that she told. Um, and it, we, we heard from um, Arthur Idala, um, whose demeanor is, you know, he's got this kind of bald head. He's, you know, you know I would say maybe in his 40s or whatever, but I would say, you know, a thuggish kind of demeanor. And which kind of, you know, and at one at, at certain points, actually, today, he was fairly, you know, he was fairly aggressive. Yeah. But um, but he was doing the defense. He was doing the, the cross examination for the defense. And he was having a tough time with the judge. The judge was shutting him down a lot. There seems to be a bit of tension between him and the judge. I think the judge doesn't respond well to his ag- aggressiveness. He started, interestingly enough, by questioning her about the second incident mm-hmm. that she described. So um, let's hear let's hear that exchange yeah, I mean, where he dig where he digs down into that um, and it, asks her some some pointed questions is, about what it happened. Is, it is a, a a funny situation where she was basically sexually assaulted in a hotel room, and weeks later she's you know calling around and going to another hotel room to meet uh, her attacker. So you know there, she's she faces some tough questions on that. So let's let's hear that exchange. In the Intercontinental, when Bonnie took you upstairs and he propositioned you, correct? Yes. And you laughed, right? Yes. And you thought he was kidding, correct? I did. And then you left. Yes. You eventually left that room, correct? Yes. It was very shortly after that proposition, correct? Yes, correct. And no one tried to stop you, correct? Um, no. Physically? No, not physically. No. So, Mr. Weinstein never put a hand on you, correct? Correct. And Bonnie never put a hand on you, correct? Correct. And during that proposition that you laughed about, Bonnie was in the room with you, correct? And the door wasn't being locked when you went to leave, correct? No. You were able to walk right out? Yes. And Bonnie never chased after you, did she? No. Mr. Weinstein never chased after you, correct? I heard him screaming still as I was leaving. When you went in the elevator and got downstairs, 
Nobody stopped you from security or anything like that, correct? No. No. So you were able, when you decided for you to leave, you were able to leave without any interruption or interference. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And the next day, you got a call from Bonnie saying that Harvey wanted to speak to you, correct? I don't know if it was the next day, but it was shortly after. And you didn't want to speak with him, correct? Yes. You refused to take his call, correct? Correct. And after that, no one ever harassed you by continuously calling you, correct? Correct. Nobody continuously emailed you, correct? Correct. Nobody reached out to you in any way, coming to your house with messages or a box of candy or anything like that? Correct. So to this day, you don't know and will never know what Mr. Weinstein wanted to talk to you about on the phone that day, correct? Correct. So the defense shows that, you know, she wasn't touched in any way or restrained when this threesome proposition was made, that she was free to leave, you know, that there was a bit of shouting went on. But, you know, they make kind of a good point that it's like there was actually nothing criminal yeah. about what happened on that occasion. And, and, and in fact, there was a slight, there was a time today when, do you remember, the prosecution were tr- sort of trying to criminalize it because they want to bring in her fiancé from the time uh, and, and uh, as an outcry witness, you know, and an outcry witness in the court is when you are attacked and you immediately tell someone. Uh, if you tell someone six months later, it's, it's not relevant. But if you tell them immediately, it's 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 significant. And they, they're they trying to bring in the boyfriend as this outcry witness. But the defense said you can't be an outcry witness if there was no crime committed. And it's not a crime to make an indecent proposal a sexual proposal to someone. You know, this is not a crime. This is this may not be moral. This may not be ethical, but it's not a crime. So that that, that was quite heated. And I think the judge is going to make a decision tomorrow on, on whether the boyfriend is allowed in. So, you know, but the other thing, but the thing that I think the bigger point that was made and the kind of the crucial point that was made by the defense and the reason possibly, I think, why he started with the second incident rather than the first mm-hmm. was the fact that um, that that Don Dunning had gone to the media um, right. and and given an enormous number of interviews uh, with like everyone and they listed them over and over again. And Don Lemon, the, Don Lemon got mentioned an awful old, lot. Good old Don Lemon. Good old Lem- Don Lemon on yeah. CNN got mentioned. They had She was on MSNBC. She was on NBC. She Sky was, TV. Sky TV. She was on everything. And after she was on all these media, she then sat down and had an enormous number of meetings with the DA and talked about what had happened to her. But here's the killer point that the defense were certainly very focused on. It was only after all of that that she mentioned the previous incident, the actual incident where she said the sexual assault. The so sex- she, she's told everyone about the threesome incident, but wasn't a crime, including the DA you know, lots of times. And then eventually she told it, told everyone about the sexual assault. You'd think that she would tell the media about the sexual assault and the the non uh, criminal incident would come later. So let's hear, let's hear her, let's hear her be questioned on that, and let's hear her explain that one. Let's fast forward to 2017. At some point in 2017, you decided to go public with what happened at the Intercontinental Hotel. Correct. Correct. You decided that you were going to tell everyone about the proposition that Mr. Weinstein made, and you said you wanted to be anonymous. And what about when you went on television? Did you ask anybody to black out your face or image? No. Okay. And you spoke to the New York Times, correct? Jody Cantor, yes. And you spoke to CNN? Yes. 
And you spoke to an anchor, a correspondent from NBC Nightly News, correct? You spoke to Stephanie Rule from MSNBC, correct? Yes. You spoke to Sky News, right? Sky News is in Europe? Yes. And that was from Sky News, right? Yes, I guess so. And you spoke to the Daily Mail, I think, most recently, correct? No, that was at... I was at an event in L.A. and someone had asked me some questions like six months ago. And then they just came out with it recently. And it was... But it was about this case. Yes. Yes. And besides speaking to the media, there then came a time when you spoke to the people from the district attorney's office of New York County, right? Correct. In 2017, you spoke to all these media outlets and you spoke to several assistant district attorneys from New York County, correct? Correct. You had never been interviewed personally, correct? No. And you've never been in the New York Times before being interviewed personally, correct? No. And during that eight-month professional friendship that you had with Mr. Weinstein, they never yielded any movie parts for you, correct? Correct. When you were interviewed by Don Lemon, you told him about how you met Harvey Weinstein, correct? Yes. And you told him about how you went and met Harvey Weinstein at the Intercontinental Hotel, correct? Yes. And you told him the proposition that Mr. Weinstein made to you, correct? Correct. And you told him that you thought Mr. Weinstein was kidding, correct? Mm, I don't remember. I never watched the interviews, so I am assuming I would have mentioned that. And you, the only thing that you discussed in that primetime interview was the proposition in the Intercontinental Hotel where nobody touched you in any way, shape, or form, correct? Yes. And in the NBC and MSNBC interviews, you got emotional when you spoke about the intercontinental proposition, right? Um, yes. You told all of these, every one of these professional journalists who interviewed you asked you about your experiences with Harvey Weinstein, correct? Yes. And in every one of those interviews, you told them about the proposition at the Intercontinental Hotel, correct? Yes. Okay. And that was all in 2017, correct? I'm not sure. You don't know if it was the end of 2017? I don't know the dates. After you met with all of the media outlets, you then met with the prosecutors? Yes. Would you agree with me that from October of 2017 to July of 2019 is just shy of two years? Yes. You would agree with that statement? And in that time period, you spoke to the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, NBC Nightly News, Sky News, and five or six assistant district attorneys. Is that fair to say? Is that fair to say? Something like that, yeah. Okay. And in fact, on Thursday, July the 18th, 2019, you were in either this building or the one across the street, and you met with Ms. Eluzi, correct? Yes. And you met with Ms. Hast? Yes. And at about two hours later, you picked up the phone, and you called Ms. Eluzi. Do you remember that? I do. And at that point... For the first time after you had told millions of people worldwide about what happened in the Intercontinental, for the first time after meeting with the prosecutors many times over several hours, you talk about what happened at the Soho Hotel, correct? Yeah, I am. Um...
So this was kind of, um, you know, it, it, it's fairly c- uh, compelling and, and, and certainly, you know, makes you pause and, and question um, Don Dunning quite a bit, you know. Um, there was, by the way, just at the end of, um, of the questioning of Don Dunning at that point, it was a kind of a, a funny moment where, well, she had said, for example, that, that the, all, all of this, these incidents, these um, alleged um, assaults um, and these incidents with Harvey Weinstein, basically put her like just derailed her career basically That's she right. made a point that it derailed her career and then uh, interestingly enough actually the um the defense rolled out a huge number not a huge number but let's say four or five movies, movies that she'd been in subsequent to this time and she was saying well but that was only just an arts project or it was For my friends friend. but it but it kind of it kind of contradicted the idea that she, no, that she was never, finished with a movie that she never acted uh, again you know? yeah because people act in friends movies or in art movies to be spotted to advance their career, you know, they're hoping that it'll be seen at Sundance. And then in an extremely bizarre, yes. you know, moment, actually, um, the defense just asked her and it was just really random, I, I, kind of random, but I think it was it was it was maybe what we're saying. They said, um, and you also subsequently joined a band, right? Like she was in a punk mm. band called the Bambi Killers. And yes. I, I, I haven't had a time today, but I did look briefly in the courtroom and I actually looked up on YouTube and that, yes, you can find quite Bambi a number killers. of these Bambi Killers. And a part uh, of the videos, videos, the I, videos have them with chainsaws apparently killing. killing animals yes and that brought a little bit of levity today when actually um the mr ayala asked the question you know uh, like have do you, do you do you kill animals or whatever and she said no i'm a vegan yes but um, from, we went from peanut yes peanut the dog yesterday to killing bambi today so so then knows? we moved on so then, as i said very big day today so the second witness then we heard from today um is another of the molino witnesses again another witness who's, yes. who's been used to prove uh, prior by other acts rather than somebody who is part of this criminal. Yes. So so Weinstein is not being charged with this actual crime, uh, but but her her account of his criminal behavior is being charged to bolster the predatory sexual assault. So her case. name is uh, Terale Wolf. And again, you know, and I, you know, I can say this, but um, a really beautiful woman, a really gorgeous woman. She was stunning. I don't know. We have such a um, um, parade of beautiful women coming in here. But um, so she, she her story was that she was working in um, a restaurant called Cip- Cipriani in Soho. Um, not actually the restaurant. The restaurant is downstairs. So upstairs, there's like this really high end kind of um, private club, club, kind of private club club, which, is, which she sort of described as basically that the owner of Cipriani basically brings his his friends in there um, and mm. has this kind of like a non-stop party and it's open, f- you know, till four o'clock in the morning and stuff. Actually, funny enough, I went earlier and had a look at the menu there online and it's one of those places that doesn't um, put prices on the menu. So it's one of those places my mother used to say, if you can't afford, if you can't, if you need to ask the price, you can't afford to be yeah. there anyway. But that's where she was working and um, and she um, first met Harvey Weinstein. So let's listen to, let's listen to mm-hmm. that piece of testimony. We're going to listen to ADA Hast ask her to describe the first time that she met Harvey Weinstein. Again, we've got actors playing the roles. Yes. And this is all verbatim from today's trial. Can you describe for the jury the first time you remember having a specific interaction or conversation with Harvey Weinstein? I was assigned to the owner section and I recall him sitting down. I don't remember him walking in, but I remember seeing him sitting down. I went to bring him his drink, and during the service of putting down the drink or the napkin, he asked what I did, and he asked me if I was an actor. I said I was an actor, and he said that you have a great look and you should come talk to my people, and I continued my service. Do you recall if you exchanged contact information with him during that period of time? At some point, 
There was an exchange. I just don't remember who gave who contact information. And you had told him that you were an actor? I did. Were you an actor at that point? No. Did you have aspirations of becoming an actor at that point? Yes. Then, according to Miss Wolf, the meeting took a very dark turn. So let's hear her tell Assistant District Attorney Megan Hast about her first and rather dark meeting with movie producer Harvey Weinstein. Did you have further interaction with him that night? Yes. Can you describe that for the jury? I was standing at the front by the bar, somewhere in the center, and I was cleaning. I had a rag in my hand. He must have gotten up and walked from the owner's table toward the back door and had grabbed my arm to go with him. And he walked through the door. It is not terribly unusual for people to do that. I thought he was going to talk to me in the hallway about talking to his people, and that was it. And as he was leading you upstairs, what did you think? Why did you think you were going upstairs? I thought he would talk about what he said inside the lounge. I didn't know. What happened at that point? Once he had me in front of him, at some point I said, I have to get back to work. And he said, one second, one second, kind of makes me wait. And I noticed that his shirt started moving. He had on, I believe, a white shirt. And I noticed that his shirt started moving. And I realized he was masturbating under his shirt. And I just froze for a second. Then I just threw the towel and ran past him. However, despite this experience, um, Miss Wolf says she later received an offer um, to do a script reading at Harvey Weinstein's office. Um, and as an aspiring actor, um, you know, she really wanted to go to the appointment. However, um, the appointment was then moved from the office and she was asked to go to an apartment um, in Soho. Um, and then things uh, got very, uh, you know, so, very cha- everything changed very, very quickly. And um, she's going to describe, and this is very disturbing for, for many people to listen to. So she describes to the prosecution how she was raped by Harvey Weinstein. Let's listen to this. Did you hear from someone from the defendant's company after that night? And when you say, come in and read, just sort of describe what you mean by that, what your understanding was. I was under the impression that I was reading a part or auditioning for a part. And did you accept that meeting or that invitation? I did. Why? Um, because it was an opportunity to meet a casting director. Where was the meeting scheduled to take place? At the Weinstein offices in, uh, I think it was in Greenwich. And do you recall how close in time to the incident you described at Cipriani's that meeting was? It wasn't, it wasn't very long after, but it wasn't a meeting. It might have been a week or two. Do you recall how you were dressed for the meeting? I don't remember what I was wearing. Describe for the jury what happened when you arrived. It wasn't like a super busy place, but I remember being greeted and told to wait a moment. And then shortly after, somebody came back. A woman came back to get me and just sat me in a room, an empty room that had a desk and gave me an orange envelope. Do you recall anything about the label? Yes. Can you describe the envelope? 
It was the kind that opens on the top with two prongs, and it had a label on one side of it. It had the name of a title of, I guess, a script, Pulse. In the room that you were brought to, were you in that room alone or with other people? I was by myself. And just describe what the room looked like. It was just an empty office space. There wasn't very much in there. I just remember the desk, and I remember sitting facing the desk with the door behind me. What were you doing in the room after you got placed there with the envelope? Just waiting. What happened next while you were in that room? Someone, a woman, came to the door and said that Harvey wants to see you. So I got up, and I walked with her, and she said, there's a car waiting for you downstairs. So I just followed her instructions and went outside. Did you bring the envelope with you? No. And how were you feeling at this point when you were told that Harvey Weinstein wanted to see you? I wasn't expecting that, so I was a little bit taken back. But she knew where I was going, and I just, I just did it. I just went. Do you know where you were going at that point, other than to see Harvey Weinstein? No. Did you ask any questions about where you were going? No. So what happened next? When I got downstairs, there was a car waiting for me, and the gentleman opened the door, the driver, and put me in the back seat. What happens next? He was driving around a little bit, a few turns here and there, and then eventually he pulled up to a building and said, you know, told me this is where we are going, and I believe he told me what floor to go to and directed me how to get in. Describe for the jury what happens once you get into that lobby area. I went to the elevator and went to the floor that I was told to go to, and the elevator opens up into a space. It opens into the room. I stepped into the space out of the elevator, which is the apartment itself, and it was just sort of empty and lofty, and I was just sort of... I walked in a little bit. Nobody was there to greet me. And then at some point I heard Mr. Weinstein say something that drew me in more, drew me into the space. What happens next? As I said, I was called into the space a bit. So I walked further in and noticed that he was kind of bustling around the space and going in and out, moving around a bit. It looked like he was getting ready for something. Hmm. Can you describe what you remember about how he was dressed at that time? I just remember him having on a button-down shirt that wasn't closed and slacks. And what was the defendant's demeanor like at that point? Did he make any sexual comments to you while you were in that main loft area? Did he touch you in any way? No. Did you make any sexual comments to him? No, I didn't. Did you touch him in any way? No. What happens next? At some point, I don't know if he said anything, but I was, I went to the, what would be a living room. There was a sofa. I just went there to wait. I didn't know what to do. I went to that area and sat there and I waited for a bit. And then he called me again. He said he was talking and rather than shouting across the room, I stood up and walked into the open space again, out of that room, and it was, it was more banter. It wasn't anything memorable necessarily, but I was standing, 
I went to where the voice was coming from, which was a room. I, I went to the threshold and just stood outside the door, and the conversation kept on, the banter back and forth, and he was sort of disappearing in and out of two doors again, back and forth as he got ready. And you described that you came to the opening, I guess, of a room. And can you describe the room that you were looking? It was a bedroom. What happens next? I, at some point his conversation, I don't know what he said that made me come into the room more, but I came into the room, and when I got to across the room, which was where, past the bed, he had taken me by my arms and turned me around and put me on the bed and leaned on top of me. And you said he said something to bring you into the room. Do you remember what the substance of what he said? It was something like, I don't know the exact, it was along the lines of something, come here, look at this, or it was very nondescript. It wasn't anything that was alerting to me. Was it sexual in nature? No. What happens next? When I did get over there, and he did take me by my arms and turn me around and put me on the bed and laid down, laid me back and laid on me as he laid me back. Can you describe what you were thinking at that point? At the point he takes you and puts you on the bed and lays you back. My red flag finally went up there. What did you do? I told him, I can't. And he answered, don't worry, I had a vasectomy. Did you respond to that? I just froze, and I just looked off, and that's it. Were you able to say anything else? I didn't. You just described why not. Can you just describe why? I don't. After I said, I can't, it just went blank. What do you mean by that? As much as I want to be, or wish, or think I am a fighter, going blank and just dismissing everything is easier for me to just get through, get past it, and just block it. How are you feeling at that point? Just numb. What happens next? I don't have a vivid memory of exactly, but I remember after I was laid down and he was on top of me and I said, I can't. And he said he had a vasectomy and I just went blank and looked off. He put himself inside me and he raped me and I just remember getting up and I just remember getting up. I don't remember from that moment between I just remember getting up after. Do you remember anything about what you were thinking as you just laid there? I don't remember what I was thinking. Can you describe for the jury his weight on top of you? He is a heavy man. He was uh, he was certainly bigger. Had you shown any interest in him sexually? No, I didn't. Did you want to have sex with Harvey Weinstein? No. Were you surprised about what happened? Yes. Just describe that. I think it is shock. Just, it's just shock. 
Do you remember anything about the defendant's body? I remember before as when he put me on the bed, I remember his shirt was open and I recall a scar on his side. What happened next? I just remember standing next to the bed after that and I didn't go to the bathroom. I don't remember fussing with myself. I just collected myself, put myself together, and I don't remember how we got downstairs, but he told me he was going to take me back to the studio, and we got into a car. And what happened once you got into the car? I don't remember the entire, the short drive, but I remember him telling me the window was slightly down, and I just remember him saying, I know the owner of that beauty spa or something. If you ever want anything, just go ahead and get whatever you want. So her evidence was dramatic um, and not good for Weinstein. Uh, but then she faced sharp questioning by defense attorney Donna Rotono, uh, who brought up a letter for the DA to her lawyer saying that they could not take her case forward because her memory of the incidents were, was so fragmented uh, that, that could not be relied upon. Um, then the, uh, yeah, the this was this was really um, kind of extraordinary. I mm-hmm. think it came from left field. I think a lot of us were kind of shocked by this. We'd heard something about this yesterday, mm-hmm. but then we got a really deep dive into it. You know, so you know, uh, so you know, we're just coming out of hearing that very uh, graphic description of and, rape and, and very detailed and in very some detailed respects. and very you know, and obviously very upsetting and very hard for the by the way for the jury to that landed very hard on the jury. I would imagine, um, and then to hear you know because you're th- you're sort of sitting there thinking I don't know what Donna Rotuno does with that. Yes, and then she comes out with this information that is extraordinary where there's this letter as Philem says there's this letter from the DA to her lawyer um, that they couldn't take her case forward because of her memory was so fragmented and then we hear basically that, you know basically her d- account they could not rely on her account of, yeah. Yeah, of these incidents so, there were so, so many gaps in her so, memory so what they decided to do mm-hmm. was that she should go to see you know to seek medical help basically yes. actually right to get yes. medical help and, and there was a dispute about wh- wh- how you would describe the expert they went to the defense described her as a memory expert the, she a memory doctor was it yes and she she uh, to, to Ali Wolf described it as a trauma specialist specializing in memory. The prosecution said she was a psychologist, you know, but but she is a, she was a memory and is a memory expert. And then it came out that it took 55 visits to the expert before her story was organized enough and her memory strong enough to bring before the jury. And, you know, that raises a lot of questions about what was really going on at these memory sessions and, you know, whether you genuinely can rely on on her accounts of these events. So let's hear But those. let's hear that, yeah. Let's hear this Donna Rotuno. Um, Harvey Weinstein's defense lawyer question, um, Tarali Wolf. And isn't it correct that after that first meeting, the district attorney's office told you your memories were too fragmented and they could not use you in this case? Isn't that correct? That is not exactly what was said. Something like that? That's not exactly something like that. Tell me, what was said? That they understood it's been a long time and there will be gaps in my memory and that was it. And they wanted you to go see somebody, right? They didn't, no. They didn't want you to go see a psychiatrist or a... that specializes in memory? Did you go see a doctor? 
Did you go see a psychologist? No. You never went to see somebody named Ali Salwa? I believe she's a clinician, trauma therapist. Not a psychologist? I don't know what her certification is, to be honest. So then we got to hear some details about the memory expert trauma specialist, Miss Ali Salwa, and how, um, you know, the experience of Tarale Wolf going for these, you know, 55 visits to see Miss Salwa, um, how that actually somehow strengthened um, her case and made it and made it, you know, made, you know, filled in some of these gaps in her memory. But that even now, am I right in saying yes. that even now we're, we're, they're we're, saying and we're going to hear this. But we're going to hear this. There's a huge, gaps, now, in huge memory. gaps in her memory. It also is the question. Who paid for those 55 visits? We're Irish. We're always thinking about who pays for things. Yes. But it is it is kind of curious. I mean, it's, it's I mean, the question is, you know, is the city uh, are the taxpayers of New York paying for that? I mean, I, I you know, it's, it, it's an it interesting one. It doesn't come out in court. I would like to have known. But let's let's hear about the, you know, how her memory was firmed up. But also let's hear about the huge gaps in her memories of these two very traumatic incidents uh, and details that she doesn't remember. And again, we've got actors playing these parts and all of this is taken verbatim from the trial transcripts. So so let's hear that now. So if I showed you her notes, would you remember the time that you went to meet with her? I guess I can ask it this way. Do you not remember you met her one week after you met the DAs for the first time? I do not remember the exact time frame between the first meeting with the district attorney and seeing Allie. So you do not remember if it was a week, month, a year? It was not a year. Could have been a week, a month, six months. You tell me. You went. Could have been several weeks. So you are not sure? I'm not sure of the date. You know that you've seen her 55 times? I believe that, yes. From a span of October of 2017 until the end of 2019. Does that sound right? Yes. And it was after all those sessions and meetings that the district attorney's office then said, we can use you as a witness, correct? It was after I had seen Allie that they, that I met with them again. Then they said, we will use you in this case, correct? Yes. And after several sessions with Ms. Salwa, isn't it correct that you told the prosecutors you think that, you think you voiced you didn't want to have sex? I don't... Could you repeat that? I mean, whatever day it happened, did you ever tell the prosecutor's office that after the meetings with Ms. Salwa, you think you voiced that you didn't want to have sex? I don't know that I said that. I don't remember the exact conversation. You don't have any recollection of what you did leaving the apartment, correct? Correct. And you don't remember what you were wearing? No. So you don't remember if you had pants on that were taken off or a skirt on that was lifted up? I don't remember exactly what I was wearing. So you don't remember how those clothes were taken off or put back on, correct? I don't remember. I remember not having... I remember not pulling up pants. But you have no other recollection about clothing? No. And then you say you leave the apartment with Mr. Weinstein, correct? I only remember being in the car. So you don't remember getting in the elevator? No. You don't remember how you felt in the elevator with Mr. Weinstein? No. You don't remember whether you waited for him to gather his things so he could leave, correct? No. You don't remember if he took anything with him as you were leaving? No. You don't remember how he got dressed? No. You don't remember about his pants coming on or off? No. And when you got in the car, you got in the back of the car with him? We were in the back seat. 
You didn't just walk out and say, I'll see you later, I'm going? No. Because you wanted to go back to the Weinstein Corporation? No. You wanted to get the script? I didn't say anything because I didn't want to react. Well, you got in the car with him, correct? Correct. And he didn't push you in the car, correct? Correct. He didn't force you in the car, correct? Correct. The driver did not put you in the car, correct? Correct. Then when you got to the Weinstein Corporation, you went in by yourself, correct? I believe so. And when you went in, you didn't tell anybody there, I want nothing to do with this guy, did you? No. You didn't throw the script in the garbage? No. You didn't say, oh my God, I want nothing to do with the man who just violated me, did you? So, 55 visits to a memory expert. I'm not sure that's a a great witness, but let's see what the jury think. You know, maybe they found the story compelling, despite the memory expert's intervention. You know, the the defense made a lot of the fact that also that she's hired a plaintiff's lawyer. Who, that's that's a pattern, by the way. I mean, we're yeah. noticing that with most of these witnesses, we, we find out, of course, we have a, a lot of reference to Gloria Allred. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, oh, I'm not paying or, you know, and, and, and no one's paying these um, lawyers. And but they're like, there every day. You know, and I don't think uh, certainly in our experience, Phelan, I'm not sure I've ever met a lawyer who's, you know, re, you know, is going to be doing charity work, basically. Yes. So, um, you know, it's expensive. Miss, Miss Allred, you know, sitting there every day and again so so that was, they make quite a bit of that you know when they're asking each of these witnesses you know are you planning on you planning on suing and you know obviously that um the criminal case helps they, well they, is, is that not is that not the case even even more so so they all go you know oh but it's, it's statute of limitations but but the lawyer points out to them don't you know that once a criminal case starts the statute of limitations and a civil case starts again and they all express surprise that and the lawyer said today you mean your lawyer hasn't explained to you you now can actually sue uh, because of this criminal case? No, no. You know, it's either the world's worst uh, lawyer or they're not, you know, they're not being entirely truthful. So they, she she did, Tarali Wolf did express surprise at, at the, the fact that she could sue and said she had no intention to sue. Let's, let's. Well, let's, let's see. see. And I think, that, you know, if we're going to try and summarize like what happened today and how things. Another happened. interesting story that came out today was we heard that Miss Wolf was fired from Cipriani's um, after a fight involving a bottle of alcohol. And uh, no, that was not a fight about a bottle of alcohol. It was actually a fight where she says one waitress attacked her friend, another waitress with a bottle, and she intervened. Miss Wolf says she was fired for complaining that the attacking waitress was not fired. And uh, interestingly, now it wasn't brought up in court, but I was able to find that Miss Wolf was also fired as a cocktail waitress from another club where she worked. Uh, that was a, the celebrity spot One Oak, which is also uh, which was in Chelsea nearby, and it has hosted celebs such as Leonardo DiCaprio and Kanye West. Interestingly, after she was fired from there, uh, she she filed a lawsuit. So she has some experience of filing a lawsuit. It was a lawsuit about. Uh, about uh, alleging they stole her tips, which is fired from that place about a, a, a dispute over an expired credit card. That's all I know. And she sued. So she's she's not inexperienced in the lawsuit world. But that was not raised in court. I was able to find that through my own research. So it was quite a day. It was, it was actually a busy day because there was two alleged victims. Normally they, they deal with one victim a day. Um, and, you know... It's hard to know what kind of day it was for the prosecution, what kind of day it was for the defense, because these witnesses, when they give their stories, when they told their stories, they're very convincing. It's very emotional. It's very stark. It's very moving. Now, the defense does an excellent job at at digging big holes in their stories, but it's hard to know 
what the jury hears. You know? Yeah, and whether or not you know the dramatic telling of a story is what is what stays with the jury. We you know we don't know exactly what obviously what they're thinking. Um, uh, you know, from our point of view, I mean, obviously we have a bit more time to think about it, and you know we can do some subsequent reading and stuff. And of course, the jury don't have that luxury. They just have this one moment where they hear everything, mm-hmm. and they're now they're keeping notes and all of that, and we know that, and they're trying to um, you know keep up with things. But I think it's I, I think it's hard, and I think it's a lot of information. I mean, you know, we mm-hmm. have so many people that were. Yes. Now, I mean, we're finding it difficult to remember all the names, That's right. you know, so I think it's quite I think it's quite difficult. Now, what's going to happen, obviously, is and, and everyone, by the way, is saying that the, the case is moving on at quite a clip um, and it will probably end much earlier than they had expected. But um, but one of, you know, one of the things that will happen, of course, and I think that's what they always do in these trials is, you know, there'll be a summary. They'll be mm-hmm. they'll be reminded of everything. They'll be it'll be like cliff notes. They're going to get the yes. cliff notes at the end. And I think also the judge will give instructions mm-hmm. and things will get dismissed and they'll be told what's relevant and what's not relevant. But um, but yeah, but, there, you know, it, it's certainly um, it's not irrelevant that you have these uh, gorgeous women who are telling these really awful stories. But it's also not irrelevant that you then have the defense who, who who've, you know, who have discovered things about these stories that that are troublesome. Yes. There, there's no doubt about it. Yes. And I think anyone again, they talked a lot about common sense and anyone who has got common sense is going to say to themselves, well, this is really odd. You know, it's really odd that you went on TV over and over and over and over again and told a story, you know, a dramatic story. But in all the time, there was a much, much more dramatic story that you knew and you didn't tell. And it was, you know, she didn't tell it. Yeah, she just she, didn't she tell didn't, it. I mean, I, he, he made the point. So this case was supposed to go ahead last September. She didn't tell until the middle of July. Yeah, six you know, weeks, six before. weeks before the That's trial. Right. I mean, right. she, she, you know, she was going with this story about, uh, you know, him, an indecent proposal of a threesome, which is not a crime. This was her story to show bad character. Well, when there was an actual sexual assault between the two of them uh, that she she had neglected to mention until six weeks before the trial. So, you know, will that lack of of reliability, that 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 strangeness, will that stick with the jury or will they just remember someone telling a very emotional story? That's, you know, and it's I think we've said this before. The prosecution talked about her story. The defense talked about common sense. And today that was very clear. It was her story, very great, great, great stories versus common sense. But how much did the common sense penetrate the minds of the jury? Yeah, that's the question. And so if you like um, this podcast, don't forget, please go and give us a rating. We've had a few trolls affecting our star rating. So please get on there and do that and leave a comment and, you know, be in touch with us. We'd really like to hear from you and anyone who'd like to support our work. Please go to unreportedstorysociety.com. That's unreportedstorysociety.com and donate whatever you can. And it's tax deductible. So we'll be talking to you. Thanks. Uh, See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Today's podcast is produced by Unreported Stories Society and Magdalena Segeda and Raquel Lerman of Theatre Planners. Written and presented by Phelim McAleer and Anne McElhaney. Directed by Kif Scholl. Donna Rotano is played by Caitlin Carlton. Megan Hast is played by Kristen Connors. Don Dunning is played by Claire Glassford. Tarale Wolf is played by Emily Martz. And Arthur Adala is played by Bruce Nozick. Edited by Mark Aramian. Engineered by Chris Gardner.